When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the post-Federer era. It's yet another post-era podcast. I'm James Gray of the iNewspaper and iNews.co.uk. I'm joined, of course, by our resident tennis coach, Calvin Beton. And since George Belshaw is still away on someone else's honeymoon, we've got uh, Michael Hinks, who's been covering for me uh, on my weekend off at the iNewspaper and who's a freelance sports journalist of all different manners. And I think he won't mind me saying he's also a big Roger Federer guy. So we apologise in advance for any bias. Usually we don't apologise for bias because people think we're biased against everyone. Um, Mike, thank you very much for coming on. How are you? Good, yeah. I didn't put on my Roger Federer top for the podcast, but I can, um, <laughs> I can go and fetch it if you want. It's got a few holes in because it's a... A few years old, but um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, I wore that out over the weekend. <laughs> uh, very good. It, of course, Roger will be part of what we uh, what we talk about today. Our last podcast was called the Roger Federer one, so we'll try not to overdo it. We've got loads of Labour Cup stuff to go through. Uh, we'll talk about Andy Murray. We'll talk about Djokovic. Talk about Felix. We'll talk about ticket prices. Um, and there's also been some tennis going on elsewhere in the world, so we'll touch on Emma Raducanu and her latest injury scare. Uh, there's also been wins for Brandon Akashima, Lorenzo Sonego, Ekaterina Alexandrova and Lyudmila Samsonova. Uh, and also, I mean, Patton and Cash have won another doubles title, but that happens so often these days that it's hardly worth remarking upon. But there is only one place to start, of course, it is the Labour Cup here in our home city, uh, which almost all of us managed to be away for. I was at a wedding at a brewery where I drank the whole bar uh, from left to right. It was great. And because it was in Yorkshire, it only cost me about 40 quid to have nine <laughs> pints. So I can I give them a shout out. It's the Osset Brewery just outside of Wakefield. Uh, and they've got a cracking selection, although the strawberry pale ale I probably can't recommend. And it did stop me in my tracks a bit at pint four. Um, how much did I cry? Not relevant. How much did Roger Federer cry? An awful lot. Mike, you were there on behalf of the eye to witness... What was, I mean, I guess a remarkable weekend, but give us your kind of overall impressions of what went on. How important was the tennis? Tennis? <laughs> no, um, yeah, it was, I mean, the moment he announced that, what, the week prior, you just knew that this was, this wasn't the Labour Cup. It was basically the, 
I think I wrote it about 50 times over the weekend, the Roger Federer retirement party. So I think, yeah, I think there was anticipation. There was a big build-up. There was about a thousand RF hats and the merch of this brand and beyond that he's obviously advertising and yeah, everything that he advertises head, uh, you name it, credit Swiss, it was all there. So it was the, it was the Federer show from the get go. And I think obviously initially you get into the afternoon session on the Friday and you're thinking, hang on a minute. Okay. There's a tournament. There's a tournament that he may have created what five years ago, but there is still this trophy to be won. And that was definitely definitely the second most important thing that was going on at least on the friday so yeah uh, calvin from from a distance i suppose and, and you consumed it i guess in the way that the majority of people have consumed it which is over the tv and over twitter and over social media do you think that the federer thing overshadowed it or actually is the labor cup such that there wasn't much to overshadow um it was a bit of both it was um it was it what did overshadow it but it also it was really the Roger Federer retirement party. Um, for example, like my dad didn't. My dad was asking me when Federer's last match was on. I don't think he even knows what the Labour Cup is. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people were like that. I did wonder whether they actually balls the balls it up a little bit with the schedule because Murray's match went on so late, mm. and I wonder whether they lost a bit of viewership. I mean, the, I think the end of the match it was gone midnight, wasn't it? Um, by the time about 12 30, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I don't know how was the stadium still full, Mike? At that, uh, the arena was still full, to be fair. Yeah, I think people people realized the sense of the occasion. So, whereas maybe the French or the US opens where people would be departing, I think people were, and another point that we'll get onto about the ticket prices, I think people probably thought that they can afford the Uber home, yeah, Uber <laughs> journey home, yeah, because that yeah. would have been beyond uh, the last tube, right. There was the night jubilee for the jubilee, mm. so you could have got somewhere else. But yeah, basically, um, I don't think it was as much in those people's minds as it would have been for just like a late Wimbledon finish or a late US Open French finish. I, I got to say, I, I found the the whole event. You, you know, the event was good, but I found that just the stuff was just bizarre. Like getting Ellie Golding to come on and sing two <laughs> songs was just. I mean, is there any relationship there? Is like, is he a big fan of Ellie Golding or just nothing? Just like. She, she came on and randomly, it wasn't even just one, she did, I think she did three songs. Yeah. And, <laughs> and and just everyone was like, it just was so awkward because <laughs> I don't know what, who signed off on that? Whose idea was that? That was just mad. Yeah, I think the announcer even, well, the thing that got me is obviously as a, from our perspective, you're thinking about, uh, yeah, you've got stuff to write up, you've got a press conference to follow, you've got whatever. And then, then Eddie Golding comes out and you're just like, Okay, and then the announcer goes, and yeah, and for more singles, go to elliegolding.com. And you're like, what? <laughs> what what have we been stuck in? And then and then yeah, I think Roger straight away in the press conference after he just said, No, I had no idea what was coming. I had like they kept everything secret from me. So unless he's got her top of his Spotify playlists, then <laughs> no, no idea why yeah, she it, was there. It was so bad. I found that just so odd and seemed like such a like a corporate it's bog standard corporate move that they pull now all the time. And it, it's like they have this sort of, I don't think they almost like have this list of artists and Ellie Golding's definitely on there along with um, Sophie Ellis Bexter is also on that <laughs> list of, of things that of, of people who will pull in probably lower cost than the elite level to, to come and sing some songs. 
Uh, I just uh, googled it out of interest to see who Ellie Goulding's agent is, and she's a Wasserman, Wasserman client, and they have a really big sports wing. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a strong connection there, um, yeah. one way or another. But I mean, I she tweeted afterwards that she was really excited to be part of the Lava Cup, which was yeah. a real highlight for me. Um, as in L-A-V-A rather than the, the Labour <laughs> Cup, which is like, it's also such a balls up because it's not like she tweeted that. Like Ellie Goulding doesn't do her own Twitter. Someone took a yeah. picture of her and was like, oh, I better do this like really corporate tweet and then cocked that up massively. Yeah, I was quite surprised to see that. I mean, I, I was kind of viewing it in, in a, again, a, a third way because I was actually at Don McLean gig on Friday night. Um, just a brief note on Don McLean. <laughs> he's uh, he's seventy six years old, and boy, do you know about it? Uh, he he is gone. Yes, Calvin. <laughs> um, he, he and he actually has a girlfriend that is younger than Ellie Golding. Uh, I read about I read <laughs> yeah, about that oh, at the weekend. That is true. She's she's twenty eight, and he said on stage uh, that he's been performing for fifty years, which is or sixty years, sorry, which is longer than both of his marriages lasted combined. And my girlfriend then pointed out that he's been performing like, I think he had had all of his top hits before she was born, his current girlfriend. Yeah, 100%. It's very, very (laughs) weird. Um, But he did sing a song that he wrote quite recently about botanical gardens, which I was thinking, if you're in your 70s, what would you write a rock song about? Botanical gardens is exactly on brand. Um, anyway, so while I was watching uh, a faded star, everyone else was watching a different faded star, and so I was kind of <laughs> consuming it over Twitter. And, and my my impression of it a bit, and even when I went back and watched sort of the full thing, was, and I said this on Twitter in a different way, and it got people very angry. Was it a bit much for a guy who like has played about three competitive tennis matches in two years, Calvin? Uh. Yeah and no. I, I get why they did it. And, you know, I think it, the weird thing is it's always been said about Federer. I think it was his fitness trainer. It was either his fitness trainer or Severin Luthi once said that when he retires, we won't even know about it. He'll just stop playing. He just mm. won't play anymore. And there'll not be any big sort of palaver about it. And that's gone out the window, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> well, so Serena but, Williams famously said, when I say goodbye, you won't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, she hasn't yet. She keeps saying she might carry on. Well, um, Federer said that as well. Sorry, we'll come um, on to that. But um, I, I found the doubles a bit of a tough one. It wasn't a great standard, and I don't, I don't know. It, it's, it's. I'm, I'm not for one second suggesting that they had some agreement in place um, <laughs> or anything. But I do struggle with the Labour Cup in general. I don't think I, I, I said to someone earlier. I don't think for a second that they've that they've sort of agreed in advance who wins the matches. I always feel that, and I guess maybe we could talk about this a bit later, I feel that sometimes the matches are specifically placed so it will even things up for the for the um, the entertainment of the tournament. I mean, the, well, let's talk about it now because it's a good way to, to move into the tournament itself. The, the format is such that it's virtually impossible for anyone to have a commanding lead by the time Sunday comes around. I mean... I don't know what you think, Mike, but the idea of having the Sunday matches worth three points when the doesn't it just render the whole Friday a bit irrelevant? Yeah, but then I guess you could argue, especially what Friday was really all about, that I guess it kind of gives more weight as you go along, which is obvious because that's what it is. But yeah, I think Team Europe had an eight-four lead 
overnight Saturday going into Sunday. And I suppose if if you'd have weighted that out with the how they actually won, then maybe the they would have been clearer and what Team World would have needed to have done on Sunday would have been more. So I get the format. I mean, that yeah, it's far from flawless. I think I told you anyway about how Kasper Ruud opens up the tournament as the world number two, the highest ranked player. Mm. And he sits on the bench for the rest of the two and a half days. Yeah. And he's the last man potentially to play. And yeah, there was a moment. Yes, yeah, Sissipas had a match point. And you think, okay, now this is perfect placement. This is perfect to have your best, bit like Ryder Cup maybe, where you've got to try and place on the singles day, on the last day of Ryder Cup. And you're thinking, okay, I might need my guy there to get us over the line. But yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, Federer's alternate Berrettini steps up, plays three matches, Rude plays one, and yes, yeah, there's there's obviously something in it, but it's it's flawed. It is a, a flawed tournament. It also got, I mean, without for want of a better word, ruined by the fact that Europe had like two alternates because obviously, you know, fair play to Rafa, like you know, his wife's not very well; she's pretty heavily pregnant, and he wants to spend as little time away as possible. And obviously, Federer was never going to play more than one match but I suppose I look at it and think well if Federer and Nadal weren't in this tournament well if they weren't in it I doubt Murray would have played albeit they might have wanted to sell some more tickets in London and then it's like well the Djokovic plus I guess Yannick Sinner might have played and I'm trying to think who else would have made it in well the Russians are banned I mean I'm just trying to look at it and think next year it's going to be in Vancouver so they'll have to pick Felix and Dennis but other than that, what what Calvin is exciting about the Labour Cup next year, or or is it or are we just back to oh this is a bit of a silly tournament like the ATP Cup or whatever? I mean, it could be a good tournament. I just uh, you know if, if they get uh, say that Felix moves forward like he should, mm. but never does, um, you know then then they get Kyrgios if Kyrgios hasn't retired by then, mm. and he's still playing good level tennis and you know, someone else moves up, then it, it could be something interesting. I do think they have an issue with the format. I do think, as I've, I think we said last week, I, I really think they should allow a doubles team in there to come mm. and play the doubles if the teams want it. I think that would level it up um, because it felt... Look, the reason that format is there is specifically to give World a chance because if they don't have that format with the three points Sunday, two points Saturday, Europe just walk the whole thing. Mm. Um, and and there are other ways of giving World a chance. Like Andy Murray doesn't get in the team on merit. Doesn't get no. anywhere near the team on no. merit. Um, Yannick Sinner would have been in there. I don't, did Sinner not want to play, or was he just not picked? Well, so the selection thing is three wild cards and then the three highest ranked players. And Alcaraz didn't want to do it, right. uh, so that's rude. And then it's it's also it's the three highest ranked players before the French Open. Mm. So I'm not even sure Sinner would have would have qualified. Right. Um, but also, might... I mean, there's there's other things that are ridiculous. Like Beyond Borg, how many how many has there been now? Is there four? Four? Is that right? Fifth, right. This was the fifth one. Fifth. Yeah. Right, Beyond Borg's won four of those, right, and lost closely in another one. I've never seen him speak to any of his players once, and and, it, and he's <laughs> literally not not even like it's not that I haven't heard him say anything of meaning once. I haven't seen him say anything to any of the players once. The team selection seemed to be picked. They did the backstage stuff. It seemed to be picked by Murray, Djokovic and Federer mm. with a little bit of Thomas Enqvist in there. <laughs> and it's like Borg is literally just sat on the bench, like doing nothing. 
at basically, all. He's basically there to be on the poster with McEnroe, isn't he? Yeah. And I know that, like, you know, in football, they say that, I, you know, that there's some questions about how much managing Carlo Ancelotti does. Like, that, you know, especially or, or Zinedine Zidane, even when he was at, at Real Madrid, apparently mm. it was just Ronaldo and Ramos that did it and Zidane just sort of stood there. Borg taking that to a whole new level. So you struggle to see, like, how serious is this event when you've got this captain who's not remotely there on merit. He's just there because he had some good matches 40 years ago. Did he? I mean, Mike, you were in all the press conferences. Did he? Did he? I mean, did he say anything interesting? Was was? <laughs> no, he's very yeah, very very well. Don't need to say it, especially when you're next to McEnroe as well. Fire and ice epitomized really, but he's um yeah, he's very quiet. But at the same time, I think yeah, does he? I mean, how much does he enjoy? It? You sometimes question when you're seeing, and then McEnroe obviously said it in the trophy presentation that that this is it next year. So then they asked uh, Bjorn as well during the Team Europe's final presser, like, do you think this is it for you as well? And he's like, yeah, one more year. And it sounds like they had a six-year contract or a six-edition contract. And, yeah, I I don't, for Bjorn's sake, it's probably not the worst thing. Or for even Europe's sake, like, maybe maybe, maybe there's a bit more a bit more life that could go into a tournament with a, a coach that can actually, yeah, give a, give a bit more, whether that's Federer or he waits five years to maybe do it again. Well, I, I think also McEnroe will be costing them an absolute fortune. I mean, McEnroe is an expensive guy to get anywhere. Like, there's a reason he doesn't do much BBC stuff, and it's because they can't afford to have him any more than they do. Um, so once he... Uh, at Borg, I assume, Calvin, I mean, you, you know Bjorn Borg's character a bit better from the rest of his career, but I assume he's not cheap either because he doesn't like doing this stuff generally. I don't know if he likes tennis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he quit at like 29, I mean, he retired right? when... 29, he was 26. Oh, yeah, sorry. 26, and then he basically didn't come back to Wimbledon, I think, for about 35 years. Yeah. Um, and I don't think... I mean, I know... I think he's probably sorted that out because of his underwear brand, but he, he, was, he was in <laughs> serious financial trouble like right. in the mid-90s. Uh, but I think he's probably a, a wealthy man now, but... Yeah, I think he... I mean, he's always been an enigma. Mm. He can't be as, like, dull as what... I mean, he's McEnroe's... He was McEnroe's best mate. Yeah. So, he so can't be... You know, I assume he's... You know, he's a very cool guy. Um, I, I imagine, having spent a bit of time with John McEnroe, like, I imagine he quite likes having that sort of... That calm energy. Because the one thing I noticed about McEnroe, having, like, sat with him, is he is so fidgety. Like he's yeah. just always moving and it's almost like he's just uncomfortable in the world. And I can probably imagine he quite enjoys having like <laughs> Borg there just like not really reacting, not moving, just creating this like quite calming presence around him. I mean, he's aircon. Yeah. <laughs> that might be something to do with some stuff that he I can, the... <laughs> we definitely i mean can we say any of that it's oh no no we can because it's on his documentary <laughs> okay yeah. he says it on his documentary so we're not right. speculating Very um good. but um yeah i i would imagine federer's going to take over in like it's going to be federer in two years time yeah. i imagine it's federer and maybe late sampras late, oh, 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 sampras i mean you do oh, well yeah, to get yeah, sampras. We federer's, mate. That, yeah. federer's mate and I think Roddick, maybe. Roddick, Roddick I'd, I just think Roddick. I, one I'd love, and I, I, I don't think they will, but some person who I really think deserves it would be Del Potro. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see that. And I'm sure he'd have some, you know, I think anyone who's ever heard Del Potro speak about tennis, he'd have some really good insights 
Um, and he, he always speaks eloquently and well. And if anybody deserves a bit of cash out, out of the game, it would be Del Potro. Well, that might be a good opportunity to do that because um, they're talking about, I think, Santiago in Argentina is bidding to host the Labour Cup in 2023. Uh, 2025, I should say. 2023 is going to be in Vancouver. And, and that's been a, a little bit of an unpopular announcement that, you know, it's just another North American city. It's not spreading the game or growing the game. And I guess what I want to ask both of you is, well, is the Labour Cup the event that we want to spread the game? Because... You know, when you look at the ticket prices, it's not exactly appealing to like new fans or a, a diverse group of fans. I mean, Mike, Mike, you were obviously there. Uh, what I found for the US Open was I was blown away by how diverse the fans there were as a group. What were what sort of crowd was this at the Labour Cup? It was. It certainly wasn't a home tournament for when Murray and Nari were playing. I think there was, yeah, I, I do think it was quite diverse. I think at times when you were getting, yeah, there was a lot of support for for Fritz and there was even a lot of support for TFO, like the Americans were getting a lot of support. And I do think that, yeah, people had travelled, people had travelled far and wide and the city that it was in, which is obviously a diverse city anyway, mm. is the fact that, you weren't ever really going to have an issue selling tickets in a city like this for such a competition. So yeah, I think it kind of ostracized a major part of the tennis fan community, but then if they were to go to somewhere else, I think that they would be maybe reflective of that city. So if they're going to go to South America, or if they were to go to, who you know, like obviously they were in Cape town, was it 2020 mm. that big uh, charity event there? I think they would be reflective of where they went, but I think they saw this as an opportunity. This is L London. They've had the ATP finals there, and maybe it hadn't been what a couple of years there. So this was a this was an audience almost starving for it away from Wimbledon, and they just said, "Yeah, we can we can charge what we want, including thirty five pounds, I think, for a baseball cap saying Labour Cup on." <laughs> um, I I think they won't have a problem in Vancouver either. Vancouver's a big tennis city. Um, I know that the challenger that. Henry and Julian just played out there. They they were selling tickets and they sold out every day. Wow. Um, and they do have the, I think it might be the most expensive tennis club in the world is in Vancouver. I think it's, I think it's $79,000 a year to be a member there. <laughs> uh, uh, is so, any, I mean, who's a member there? I mean, just, I don't know. That, that was the, that was the place where it was at. Um, right. the tournament was at but um, I don't know what it's called but I know I've, my mate of mine is a, he's a tennis coach in Vancouver he doesn't work there but um, yeah it's very nice yeah. um, apparently and it's, it's the event that, that all basically players will still go and play the challenger there even if they don't have to play challenges right so bearing that in mind and bearing in mind where the Labour Cup has been the last couple of years I mean should we just write this off as this is a capitalist venture the Labour Cup will go wherever it can make the most money and sell the most tickets. And growing the game is for the people who run the game, not for Roger Federer and Tony Goldsick. Uh, maybe. Um, I think they'll run out of places, though. It has to start holding itself together on merit, I think. Mm. Um, where's the next European one? Do we know? Well, I don't think that's been announced. Berlin. Yet. Oh, is Berlin? it right? I think it's Berlin oh, 2024, okay. 20, yeah. yeah I think that's weird. the thing. Look, they're always going to be fine in sure. uh, London anywhere in anywhere in germany paris a couple of places in italy hmm. 
But then I don't think they would do Paris because Paris Bercy is always yeah true. Like you know, so close to it in the calendar. True. Um, I, I, I just and Spain, I, Madrid, they could fill it as well. Yeah, go to the Casa Magica. That would be quite fun. Um, I don't know. I just I, I look at it so far and I think, okay, Prague. I thought was a cool idea, something different. But then like Chicago, Geneva, Boston, London, Vancouver, like. I, I don't know. I, I just look at it and think it's great that they're going to big tennis cities, but you know these places have got big tennis events. I suppose Chicago hasn't had a big tennis event in a long time, um, and maybe you could argue Geneva hasn't either. But the um, problem is, I think that like they're never going to take it to Australia. The players won't go. Yeah, the players won't fly to Australia in September to then fly back and play European tournaments just after. They might have had a bit more. They might have a bit more chance if they brought back the the, um, the Asian swing the Shanghai yeah. Masters and that kind of thing. But it's never going to... I don't even think players will fancy going to... to Ch- I mean, if China ever reopens. Mm. I don't think... Or anywhere in Asia, just for three days. I don't think they'll fancy that. But if you, ha- if you had it, as you say, if the Asian swing was there again, and I know for a fact... Because I actually happen to know that the idea for the Labour Cup was dreamt up in Shanghai, basically because Federer had just played an exhibition there and made an absolute fortune. And he, he turned to Godsick and said... I've just made more money from that exhibition than Rod Laver made in his entire career. And and how Godsick then spins it is he's like, oh, and we really wanted to rectify that for Rod Laver. And I was like, no, what you mean is you remembered how much money you can make out of exhibitions. And why can't we do this more than playing real tournaments? Do, do we know, by the way, what when Federer says he's, he's going to continue playing tennis but not Grand Slams and professional tournaments, is that just exhibitions he's planning on playing? Mike? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's touring the world. It's kind of... It was asked maybe two or three times over the weekend, and I think he was just like, "Yeah, yeah, I don't know where, don't know when." But yeah, he mentioned like, "Yeah, going to have." He literally said the word "party," like going to say thank yous and have like have a party to thank all these fans from around the world. So, yeah, he's. We all know how savvy he is. We all know how savvy the team behind him is. So yeah, give it a year or two, maybe, or I don't know, a week, and then he might start <laughs> thinking about uh, might start thinking about where and when. Did he did he play that exhibition against Marcelo Rios? Have I made that up? He was going to go to South America, or him and Zverev did a South American tour. Yeah, I think. yeah. they did and, a five stop tour of Latin America. Yeah, I mean, he will just make so much money doing that, and I, I can never quite work out whether he really, really loves tennis or he really, really loves a pound note, or a combination of the two, which is probably true. But I'd I'd be staggered if. I mean, they say Murray's Murray's going to retire in the next couple of years. I would think mm. I'd be staggered if him and Federer don't do a residency at the O2. <laughs> a residency? <laughs> they could just do it couldn't they? every every night. <laughs> how many? Of, how many nights? Yeah. How many nights? Do you well, I've said it before. I'd, Federer could sell it out. Federer could sell it out for a month. Yeah. Like you know, and if you put put Murray in there, they could sell it out for a month. Yeah, I think um, apart from Friday night being the ticket to have, I think Thursday was probably. I think I wasn't even sure what to expect, but it was between press conferences and a bit of work. So I just went to go watch Team Europe warm up on the actual main court of the O2. And yeah, like we're saying, this whole show is run very like savvily. So what do they do? They bring out Federer and Nadal and they warm up with Djokovic and Murray and the crowd absolutely loved it to the point where if every session had been those four doing a little rally, doing a few points, I think people would have been talking about that weekend almost as much as they have been anyway about Team World pipping Team Europe on the final day. Like it just went down a storm. And I think 
whoever got out on Thursday, those tickets, I think they would, yeah, they would be as lucky as anyone, especially on Saturday. Yeah, and it's 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 very weird because you know from a tennis perspective, I mean, Calvin and I talked about it. From a tennis perspective, it it was crap. Like for for want of a better word, like you want to go watch Mansoor Bahrami at Wimbledon, fine. You know, he, he's a very talented entertainer, but I I Tsitsipas Tiafo was a brilliant match with loads of unbelievable points and great tension. And I suppose the reality is that these these guys haven't had 15, 20 years of legendary matches to build their profile and get that. But it's just, I, th- I think I think that's where I struggled with that. It's a serious event. You can if you're having a serious event, right? Again, you don't have a captain who doesn't say anything. You don't if you're desperate to win it, regardless of his of his stature as probably the greatest player of all time. You're not paying Federer in a doubles match to play for a point. You're not putting the Dal in there in a doubles match. <laughs> you know, there's 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 better. You know, you might put Nadal in, I guess, but you'd you'd have Djokovic on as regularly as you can get him on court. Mm. You wouldn't be picking Andy Murray, yeah, like that that sort of thing. You know, it's like, you know, it's like Ryder Cup. It's like having the Ryder Cup and like Britain selecting Nick Faldo to come out and, <laughs> and play something. You just wouldn't do it. I don't know. Faldo's still got a hell of a swing. Um, it's it's a it's a fair point, and I, the problem they're going to have now is if they want it to not be an exhibition next time, they need to kind of switch gears, and they need you know they've they've sort of made it an exhibition this time, and next time they need to say and almost decide up front this is or isn't an exhibition. Sorry, I'll, I'll say I keep interrupting James. I'll say it again. I I realise I'm labouring this point, and probably because. I'm obviously heavily invested in doubles. The the reason that World won it basically was they had a doubles player. Jack Sock was Jack Sock decided the the outcome of that match. He won mm. two, and I know he lost a close one as well. But if if you if you want to make it more serious, allow them to bring the doubles players in because Ram and Sock, I think, would be any combination of the Team Europe squad. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray of the I Newspaper and iNews.co.uk. As usual, I've got Calvin Beton, our resident tennis coach, and we've got freelance sports journalist uh, Michael Hinks, who's been at the Labour Cup for us. Well, not for us, but for himself and for everyone, for the world over the last couple of days. We're talking Labour Cup. We've been talking a lot about Roger Federer and the Labour Cup as a whole, but there was some tennis going on that didn't involve Roger Federer, and I did want to kind of touch on a few of the performances that we saw. Um, I, I guess maybe I wanted to ask, who who's our Labour Cup MVP? Uh, Mike, why don't you go first, since you're going to have the most authoritative opinion on this. Well, yeah, I think, especially from what felt like having a, I think I described it as having a hangover without touching a single drop of alcohol on Saturday. So you get there and you're like, oh, we got a tournament now. So um, I think it was, yeah, in terms of players, like you really needed someone to raise that, raise the severity almost of what is is an exhibition so yeah i think team europe's sake i think obviously novak kind of saved the day there Mm. obviously with after what two and a half months away comes and picks up what was four four valuable points for europe but then i mean in terms of an mvp as good as felix was winning those last two i think i probably would give it to tfo just because i think I think there's a phrase that the the kids say. He under he under he understood. Okay, that sounds even. We sound like an old man, but he understood the assignment. Basically, he <laughs> he um, he he got it straight away. Like in the absence of Kyrgios, basically, he knew to do all of that sideline stuff. He knew to just like he practice fake he'd, uh, fake fainting on the side, and then obviously what was yeah most essential maybe about that like to know that it wasn't a pure exhibition was he was just like no i'm gonna gonna beat federer and nadal at match point or whatever or this guy's retiring in about two minutes i'm still gonna whack him as hard as i can on the elbow because it's doubles tennis and then yeah he just considering he lost that that first set six one to sissy pass he just found another level and he absolutely fed off the crowd and i think the crowd fed off him so I'd give him my MVP just for probably saving the tournament and maybe the tournament's format going forward because, yeah, Team World really needed that win. Calvin, Felix Auger-Azassim had the most points and is a man I know you think should be a lot better than he is. Uh, yeah, he, he should be. He should be competing for and winning slams. Um, I think we saw over the weekend, we saw the reasons why he should be doing that and also the reasons why he's not um over a course of a couple of days he still gets he's a phenomenal athlete he's the best athlete in tennis um he's a phenomenal tennis player as well he still gets really tight he gets really stiff when he gets tight he gets really rigid he's still not a great returner of serve still not a great volleyer uh and still doesn't have a great second serve mm. um and you, yeah do you think his win over Novak on Sunday was means anything to anyone, or is it Novak struggling a bit with injury and, and match tightness? Uh, Novak always says that. I'm not even reading anything into that. I, I don't think you can say match tightness when he duffed up. Um, who did he duff up the day before? TFO on Friday. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think you can say match tightness for that. He always says that he's a bit injured as well. He's like a boxer in that regard. Like He always <laughs> says that there's been some minor injury or something whenever he loses. Um Felix was great in that. It, it, it should be yeah, it should be a turning point, but I, I'm kind of like I've been invested in this Felix thing a few times and thought the turning point's here, um, and it's not been uh, MVP. I, I, I as I said, I think it's Jack Sock. 
They, they wouldn't have won it without Sock. Mm. They wouldn't have won the two doubles. Um, and he was he was by far the best doubles player on the court. Uh, Mike, do you read anything into to Djokovic? I mean, you're obviously there listening to him talk about it, or is this the usual Djokovic or the usual, frankly, tennis player kind of, um, you know, oh, I lost, but I was injured? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could, with with the cameras absolutely everywhere in the dressing room, you could make a point about, yeah, getting the wrist tape out straight away, I think, after that, uh, the defeat to Felix. But um, no, you know, I mean however long away two and a half months and then two two matches the night before i think if we were talking about him playing like say friday and then again on sunday and then on sunday if he was still carrying something or if he was complaining about something maybe i'd read more into it but not when he's just played a, a third match in literally the space of 24 hours yeah look if he was struggling with any injury and they said to him right we're going to put you on singles and then straight on for doubles He'd have gone, nah, come on, I yeah. can't be doing that with an injury. Mm. Like, and then oh, we're gonna put you on the next day straight away as well. Like, he's gonna go, nah, I'm, you know, I can't do that. Yeah. If there was a tournament this week, if he was entered in a tournament this week, he'd be playing it, wouldn't be pulling out. Uh he's going to Tel Aviv, isn't he? He's playing the ATP tournament in Tel Aviv, which I, I guess is next week, or that is this week, yeah? I think I'm right in saying that is this week. Right. He's Probably playing, is, yeah. Yeah. He's playing, I think it is. he's playing singles and doubles there as well. He's it's kind of remarkable actually. People might not have noticed this, but he's so he's gonna be playing with and you may know this guy, Calvin. He's forty six years old. Who was it? Jonathan Ehrlich. He's forty five years old. He's from Tel Aviv. It's his home yeah. city, I should say. And Djokovic is playing doubles with him, which I think is quite a nice um <laughs> Yeah, he used to. He used to be. I don't know. I think he might have been world doubles number one. He used to play with um, Andy Ram. Right, they were the okay. they were the best pair in the world from Israel. They actually mm. played. My mate Dave Sherwood made his um, Davis Cup debut playing with uh, a young Andy Murray uh, in Israel, and they beat Ehrlich and Ram uh, wow. to win the tie for Britain. I reckon that's a piece of trivia that. A handful of people, most of whom were probably playing that match, would have been able to pull out their ass. So I'm quite yeah. impressed by that. Um, yeah, so he is still playing doubles, it would appear. So I would assume that if he plays singles and doubles in Israel, he's probably fine. Oh wow! I just seen. Sorry, he won. Yeah, he won Queen's doubles with Ehrlich back in 2010. So this is the only. It looks like the only doubles that Djokovic has to his name was with Ehrlich 12 years ago. Wow. <laughs> It's going to be an emotional occasion in Tel Aviv. This, I mean, this is of course the um, the tournament that only exists because the Chinese swing isn't happening. I think they added this to kind of substitute uh, the Asian swing. Anyway, we'll see Djokovic there, and I suppose that'll give us a bit more info on exactly how injured he is or isn't. He's still planning, he says, on playing Turin at the end of the year. He, of course, will qualify if he's in the top twenty in the race uh, because he's a Grand Slam champion. So he's actually, I think, 15th at the moment in the race, but that will be good enough to get him in. And he says that's a big target for him. Uh, the other guy I kind of wanted to just touch on a bit was Cam Norrie, who, okay, he lost in what they're insisting on calling a labour breaker, but we're going to keep calling a match tiebreaker because that's that's what it is. Um, but he lost to Taylor Fritz, and he lost the first set quite badly. Um, Mike, not a great result. Yeah, I mean... I think, I mean, the whole year, the whole couple of years, I think what is Cam Norrie is a question in itself. And what 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 level is he? And has he got to to eight by sheer persistence? Like, I, 
it's tough to say like when you're watching him play Taylor Fritz you're looking at one man and saying yeah you're looking at Taylor Fritz saying that you're by far the more accomplished player basically so yeah I I can't see it wasn't a surprise really and I don't think even the crowd were like majorly surprised to see this either or and I don't think there's a level of expectancy I just think that there's there's it's it's it feels harsh and horrible to say, but there's just there's still a bit of a shock to see such a low number next to his name and and then match that with the then expectancy that you're supposed to have with a player of of that level, basically. So yeah, I mean he obviously fought his way back in and he got he took it to a labor breaker as well. So, you know, I mean <laughs> he obviously fought his way back, but I still think even when you watch him live, it's quite difficult to work out what he's doing so well to stay in it if that makes any sense at all i think we've been a bit harsh on him there he's he's lost he's number eight in the world and fritz is 12 and they've played each other twice in the last week and both won one really close match each Mm. which is kind of what you'd expect from players who are ranked eight and 12 in the world um they're not you know they're not all-time great number eights and twelves in the world, and you could argue that both maybe a little over overranked. But mm. um, I th- I think that when those two play, they'll always have close matches. I know they've played quite a lot. Um, mm. I was going to ask about the, so I didn't see the Fritz Norrie match, so I apologise to listeners for speaking out of ignorance here. But the conditions from the matches that I did see, and I came back on Sunday and watched quite a lot of that. The conditions in the O2 seemed painfully slow at times which you would think would suit Cam Norrie wouldn't it Calvin uh yeah you it's one of those with that type of player you never really know because sometimes the guys who defend really well they need a little bit extra from the court yeah as well and especially with Cam's backhand that sort of strange slice drive that he hits he probably you don't want a gritty slow court with that because it's just going to sit there a little bit you want that ball to skid through a little bit more okay um and he's you know he's done okay on the quick courts as cam it's not necessary i think he probably prefers a medium court Mm. um he so he's it's funny actually someone asked him this question in in new york and he said we were like what's your ideal scenario and he's like really really hot like painfully hot slow bouncy hard court um, like basically Mexico, or I guess Indian Wells yeah. is a bit like that as well. So that's kind of that kind of makes yeah. some sense. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just looked at that result and thought, just I just feel like, and I hate to say it because we've said it on this podcast so many times about Cam Norrie specifically. I feel like he's butting up against a ceiling now. Um, I mean, there's only so much further he can go. So you know, fortunately, we can't be that wrong. But do, Calvin, does he not need to like find something to like beat? You know, because because he, he's very good at beating guys from outside the top twenty, but he's had a few top, top ten wins, hasn't he? Recent uh, this year. Duh, 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 duh. I mean, did he beat Sitsipas? I feel like everyone's beaten Sitsipas. Let's assume he beat Sitsipas. <laughs> I can't specifically think of when, but it feels like a, something that's probably happened. Uh, versus the top ten, Cam Nori this year he beat. Oh, he beat Alcaraz in Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, he beat Felix in Los Cabos. He beat Sitsipas in Acapulco. I knew he had. And he beat Rublev in San Diego, but that was last year. That's in the last twelve months. I mean, four, four and eleven in the last twelve months against top ten. The problem is, I guess, in the slams, if you're ranked eight, you're going to come, you know, eight or nine, you're going to come up against one of the top four yeah. regularly. And he's he's probably not beating any of them in a slam. No. But um, 
Yeah, I, I, you might be right saying he's kind of reached his ceiling, but it's how long I think it's how long he can stay there now mm. um, and stay in the mix. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, let's move on. There, there were, I mean, I guess we've talked about Felix, so maybe, maybe we can move on from him. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I know we mentioned it, but I just wanted to call official bullshit on uh, Andy Murray saying, I won't have a big farewell do like Roger because... Like, you know, we say Roger's a pretty commercially savvy bloke. Andy Murray's got some pretty commercially savvy people around him who will not want to give up the opportunity to uh, to make a bit of money out of that. But um, d- does anyone have any parting thoughts? Mike, I know you've written uh, 20 parting thoughts from the Labour Cup, <laughs> but um, are there any of those that you want to pick out? Maybe your, your favourite moment of the, of the weekend? Uh, I don't know. I just think it is a, a viral moment maker, isn't it? And I think... They, they know what they were onto straight away. And I think they were quite savvy with knowing that they probably won't get this chance again. So no, I enjoyed, I enjoyed Murray getting a London lesson from, uh, from, from Federer about the Shard I mean, more than anything. Going, that, what, uh, what's, is... what's happened to it? <laughs> Has there ever been a better illustration of... I've tennis? not heard this. What have you not seen it? So basically uh... Andy Murray and, well, all of them are wandering around, I think it's just around Tower, a Tower of London. Mm-hmm. And... Murray goes to like the woman who I think is chaperoning them. He goes, what's that building there? And Roger's like, that's the shard. And he said, oh, Andy goes, oh, what's happened to it? And he was like, Roger's like, it's, it's, that's how it is. Like, like that's, that's what it's always looked like. Like Andy Murray's lived in London for like 10, 15 years. It was really weird, like really odd. And I thought it was a really good illustration of, Calvin, what you've said before about how tennis players really don't know anything about the world. They know tennis yeah. and and very few of them know much else beyond that. Yeah, that's normally that's normally when they're visiting places, not in the city that they live. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's not it doesn't normally regard the tallest building in the city that they live. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like yeah. it's not like you have to get up close to see that thing. <laughs> like you can see it from about eighty miles out of London. Incredible. Uh, that that might have been my favourite moment as well. Albeit there were a couple of actual tennis moments I really liked. I mean that the the TFO uh, like rundown of a drop shot against Sitsipas where he runs from the back left the backhand corner, well behind a baseline to the front right of the court, runs down the drop shot and then plays this like angled cross court mm. flick i mean i i know we've said it before calvin and mike you've seen it up close and personal and you gave him mvp but good god i hope francis tfo is fit and good at tennis for the next five years because like it it's just going to be absurdly good for the game and and he like he talks well and he always has something to say and you know it, he's just going to be bloody massive if he if he keeps going um, yeah. And I know he, I've said a lot of that. He seems to have balanced out, especially in the last two tournaments. He seems to have balanced out having a laugh and being serious when it matters. Yeah. There were always before there were times where he'd be like break point up at five all in the fifth and he'd start joking with the umpire or something. But now he, he seems to have this real steeliness with him at those key moments while at the same time still being, I mean, he's, he's hugely charismatic. He's yeah. probably the most charismatic tennis player on the tour. Yeah. Um, he's kind of done that thing that I said about Kyrgios at Wimbledon, which was where he's he's worked out when to be a maverick, which is very clever. Like, you know, and I've always said it about Kyrgios that he, he is less eccentric than he pretends to be. Like, 
oh, he hit an underarm serve, but it's always 40 love. Like, it's always 40 yeah. love when he hits his first underarm serve. Like, that's not a mistake. That is understanding when you can do it. And I think that's what he did at Wimbledon was he got better at that. And yeah, I think it's a good point yeah, about TFO as well. Yeah, and I think that there's almost something to be said about realising that maybe, yeah, the Djokovic still has the baton maybe, but then Alcaraz has... Alcaraz has obviously risen to number one, Ruse number two. I think there's something to say in Kyrgios and Tiafo, maybe like maybe picking and choosing their moments now, realizing that, hang on a minute, like maybe five years ago, yeah, I'm still an up and coming player, but like I'm not going to be that teenager who wins the slams like they all did 15 years ago. But now, all of a sudden, yeah, they want to be an entertaining. Yeah, they know that they can be box office, which I think TFO rightly will be to the levels that Kyrgios can be as well. And mm. but now there's Grand Slams to be won, and now now that reality really, really is kicking in. Now they've seen Zverev do it. Oh, not Zverev do it. I mean, like uh, Alcaraz do it, and then Maybe like, yeah, I know team team was team feels like what two years ago. It does almost feel like a lifetime ago, but. Yeah, there's they're sensing and smelling that opportunity now. And it's funny because they they all will get asked this quite a lot, and none of them will ever say it. They'll all be like, "No, I want to beat. Uh, I can beat Djokovic in a Grand Slam final. I can beat Nadal in a Grand Slam final." And it's like, well, yeah, but I think they must know. They must know in two years' time, those guys aren't necessarily going to be there. And yeah, I think it's a good point. I think there is an opportunity, obviously. Uh, let's move on we've not talked about women's tennis at all so far uh, there hasn't been a lot of it in fairness but Emma Adekanu has been playing out in South Korea in Seoul uh, where there is a men's event this week I believe which is reasonably stacked for a 250 uh, she won three matches in a row for the first time in more than a year I believe uh, she beat Uchiyama Wickmeyer and Magdala Net without dropping a set uh, she faced up to Yelena Ostapenko in the semi-final uh, and retired down four six six three three love. Uh, the same injury it would appear um, that she suffered in Podoroz. Am I right in saying that? Yes, in Slovenia and coastal town uh, that it is uh, looked like a glute problem. Um, I've spoken to people in her camp and they say they're not too worried about it and that it just seems to be a fairly minor one and she'll be able to get back on court in the middle of. Uh, this week, I think she's down to play Ostrava, which will be her next event, and there's not too many worries about that. Um, Calvin, I, I feel like kind of going around in circles on Emirata Kanu, but at least this week we can say that she won three matches in a row. She played pretty well by all accounts, and then she got injured, which does keep happening. Um, to quote Simon Briggs's piece in The Telegraph, wanted all-purpose tennis fitness guru slash whisperer capable of structuring training, calming niggles and inspiring resilience in the face of suffering. Um, such a person does not exist, Calvin, or do you? <laughs> I doubt I'm getting hired in that camp. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Look, I said all along, there's, I'm, I've no concerns about her tennis whatsoever, but, but this, you know, this injury thing, it's, Either either the body is a problem or something's a problem, right? Because when, I don't know, maybe I'm wider than marking, but when was the last time that she lost the match and didn't have a, have the trainer on, have the physio on, mm. and there wasn't some link to some form of injury or illness or blisters or something? It it, it seems to be a an ongoing thing. Mm. Probably, to be honest, I think the US Open, when she lost to Cornet, she, I don't think, she had a timeout. I, I'm trying to remember. I was there, right. but 
she, but she got battered so hard that I'm not convinced she had time to. Um, that match was extremely one-sided. But yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I mean, how do you create like? I guess what you're suggesting is it's a mindset thing rather than a physical thing, right? I, I don't even know if it's a mindset thing. I, I'm not. Again, I'm speculating. I don't know, but you know, some players they use the medical timeouts as a way of disrupting the opponent and. If you combine that, as you may be doing that, I don't know, but combine that again with, you know, with the injuries, it's one of those. If if she's injured as much as often as that she needs the physio on the court all the time, that's a concern. Mm. And if she's not, then it's a mindset thing. Yeah. So it's one or the other. I don't see how it how it can be neither. What do you think, Mike? I was going to say, I mean, uh, it in my point i was almost going to throw it back to you guys because it i remember the players from young when like murray or djokovic and you're just like oh yeah here we, well we're just talking about djokovic right now as well like is there a point of when you've grown up and you're so used to winning do you does your mind consciously switch to something that there's like there must be a problem if i'm losing and <laughs> is this something that she's maybe perhaps carrying now like i think we could all agree that maybe yeah, the US Open was obviously double-edged sword in that aspect, but given that she's had to strip back and back to the very start again, I think, yeah, I think it's quite tough for her to now realise, hang on a minute, like, yeah, outwardly, do I have to show maybe that there's an issue or do I do I think that there's an issue? And yeah, I think maybe it might even be more psychological at the moment than it is, than it is physical. Yeah, it's an interesting point, I suppose, Calvin. <laughs> is there a, is there a, piece of mindset that says i'm losing that can't be right uh, and and i've also got this bit of pain so maybe i should deal with that i don't know i i, I sometimes feel have felt with radicano in the past when i've been there or even watching on tv that like it, it's an issue that probably was nothing and maybe didn't need treatment like you know th this most recent one in Poderos, she had a medical timeout, got her thigh strapped, and then won the next set six love. Like, that suggests that maybe she didn't need that medical timeout or treatment. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll say this uh, to Mike, that uh, this is not really something that started happening since she was start since she be started winning things. It's something that's been going on as long as I can remember her playing tennis, which is mm. since she was 12. Uh, which, these... which is to say the injury problems. Yeah. Yeah, not the the. I don't know whether she well, she wouldn't have been having injury timeouts on ITF junior events and that kind of thing <laughs> regularly. But um, yeah, the injury problems have been have been an issue. But uh, it, it's and it's always strange how it's something different. It keeps mm. changing like all the time. But yeah, they're, they're, I'm sure there is you know that kind of of mindset. But it's all again. There's not specific to Emma, but this is a problem that you get with players like her who are obviously approaching superstar status who's telling her emma you got to stop getting the physio on court mm. this is getting a bit silly you need to start focusing when you're losing just start focusing on winning and <laughs> and, and you know she's sacking coaches for a lot less than that so yeah and it's also interesting to note and i don't know whether it's relevant but will herbert what who has been her regular physio um wasn't in seoul uh, which, given that she obviously flew out there with a not an injury, like she, I, I know for a fact that they didn't consider it a bad injury, and she won three matches on it, so she clearly wasn't struggling. But 
I thought that was a little bit unusual. Like, you know, a guy who she really values and massively trusts and like one of the few guys who's been around quite a lot. Um, but then it's also, uh, there's also a point that, you know, she's a, thinks of herself and carries herself as an elite tennis player and she hasn't got a full-time like physio or S&C person, which, you know, I have to question. There is, yeah, you've got to question it. Everybody's got to, you absolutely have to question that. But it's one of those things that are the people around her. And I'm not, you know, tennis players are are strange souls. And I, I say what I just previously said meaning that I'd lay the blame at the people around her rather than her, because Mm. I don't know who's telling her these things or who's in a position to tell her these things. Mm. I don't know who that is. Um, You know, all the coaches that she employs will know that they're on basically a one-week contract. Yeah. A rolling one-week contract. And so I don't know who's going to tell her who's the position that's going to say, look, this, this mindset is, is, holding you back if it's a mindset thing and if it's not a mindset thing then i don't see how the people who are communicating to the media it's nothing serious she'll be good to go again next week i guarantee you i don't guarantee you i reckon there's a fair chance we're having this discussion next week Hmm. and it it becomes a problem it's all people ever talk to me about really when radicani comes up in conversation it's like why isn't she winning and isn't she injured all the time and that's a bit weird um and you know, if you're if you're managing someone like Emma Raducanu, you don't want you want people to be talking about how great she is or what an impressive person she is or how special her sponsors are. Um, so yeah, very strange, really. Um, we're running out of time, so we've got to do some quick hits. Uh, titles for, as I mentioned, Ludmila Samsonova in Tokyo beating Zheng Chinwen, and I apologise for uh, murdering that name as usual. Uh, but two players who we you need to watch because they're all both, I think, going to go quite far. Um, a title for Ekaterina Alexandrova against Yelena Ostapenko. Two players who you need to watch just because they're fun, not because necessarily they're up-and-comers. Um, <laughs> Lorenzo Sinego, uh won the title in Mets. Alexander Public tried to hit a smash with the handle of his racket and lost the point at break point down. Uh, I mean, I don't know if anyone has anything to say for that. Can anyone make a point that that's good for tennis? Uh, George can. He's not here, though. <laughs> as, as we discussed in our WhatsApp group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for it, obviously, no one heard it, but George is making the point that he that he's, he's good for tennis because people talk about him. I counted that with he's not because the only reason people talk about him is because he doesn't try. He's the guy who doesn't try. Yes. No one cares about anything else about what Alexander Bublik does. Correct. Uh, but people might care what Brandon Nakashima does because he uh, has won his first ATP title in his hometown of San Diego with a second survey to seal it. Um, he impressed me at Wimbledon against Kyrgios. He seems like a nice chap. I don't know if you know him at all, Calvin. I feel like you guys might have moved in the same circles a bit. But... Uh, I, I don't know him. He's always stri- the thing that always strikes me about Nakashima is he's a lot younger than you think he is. <laughs> like You look at him, he looks about 28. And yeah. I think he's 20 maybe. He looks really, he's 21, he looks really sort of, yeah, just mature, physically developed, I suppose. Yeah, he doesn't look like it, I'm not saying he looks old, he just looks like, he's like one of those guys who, as long as I've seen him, and I guess I first saw him when he was maybe 17, he looks like he was born at 29 years old. (laughs) I mean, Mike, you're a man who hasn't aged in the last 10 years, but did look about 30 when you were 20, so I think you can probably relate. Oh yeah, absolutely. Apart from and the grades, stacked as a as a fifteen year old. I wish. 
that's uh, that's that's what playing uh, county level uh, Gaelic football does for you, clearly. What can I say? <laughs> not, yeah. Don't say that let's, again. Let's not start doing impressions. Yeah. No, it's going to end badly. Uh, I think that's all we've got time for uh, this week. Uh, thanks very much for coming on, Mike and Calvin, of course, for sparing an hour of your busy schedule for us. Uh, this has been the Love Tennis Podcast. Please do leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, do drop us an email, lovetennispod at gmail.com. We love getting them. And uh, yeah, most importantly, do come back next time. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.